Just a brief word of introduction to our preacher and presider for this evening. Bishop Don Phillips is here, although he's not here as a guest. A bishop is the chief pastor and shepherd of the diocese, which means he or she is at at home in each and every parish. And so you never welcome them as a guest, but rather welcome home. But in addition to that, Bishop Don has been part of this St. Benedict's table, uh, sometimes from arm's length, but sometimes from quite close up for the whole 10 plus years of our life together, from the very earliest days, in fact. And from the very earliest days, we had a, a, a sort of a practice of teasing him about his pointy hat, which he wore tonight in the early years. He, we mercilessly teased you about your hat. But if there's any day on which it makes sense to, to, for a bishop to wear a mitre, it's actually on the day of Pentecost because the shape of it in that point is meant to represent the shape of a flame as descended on that first day of Pentecost. And so to extend that experience through the whole life of the church symbolically uh, through its bishop. So, Bishop Don. Thank you, Jamie. It doesn't mean my head's on fire. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that I'm the only one with the flame. We all have the flame. It's just a symbol to remind us. But I want to tell you um, how pleased uh, I am, and Nancy's with me tonight, uh, to be with you. As Jamie said, we, we have journeyed sometimes closely, sometimes at a little greater distance with this community. And um, as many other places in the Canadian church will tell you, um, this bishop is quite proud of this St. Benedict's. We gathered tonight on the Feast of Pentecost. And Luke, the writer of Acts, the first reading you heard tonight, tells us that the Apostle Paul thought it was so important to get back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost that he rushed by Ephesus. You know that kind of feeling you get sometimes when you're in town and you don't have time to visit aunt and uncle, so you hope they don't think they know you're not there and you can rush on to someone else. I think that's a little bit what it was like. Ephesus didn't get to see Paul on that trip because he wanted to get back to where the church was born, to Jerusalem, to celebrate this great feast of Pentecost. Now, bishops are the successors of the apostles, and I don't think that in my case I had to snub another congregation in order to get here tonight. But like Paul, I'm pleased to be with you on Pentecost, commemorating the sending of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus' disciples and the formation of the church. So, What am I doing here tonight, other than just enjoying myself, being in the midst of this community? The biblical Greek word for bishop is episkopos, and it means overseer. So, in a very real way, my ministry is to come into your midst, learn about both the graces and the challenges of your local community, and I did, in fact, meet with the kitchen table uh, not quite two weeks ago, had a wonderful time with them, got sort of caught up on things that are happening and things that you're planning. But I'm also called to come into your midst and share from a wider perspective as one who looks over the church or the churches. Now, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, tells his disciples, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
Do you ever wonder if anybody ever notices whether your light shines? Does <laughs> anybody else give glory to God for what you're trying to do or what you think God is doing through you? I think individually, thankfully, we do find that out. You know, the word gets back to us some way as individuals. Someone might come up to us and say, you know, what you shared with me last Sunday was really helpful, or the coffee that we had together last Wednesday afternoon really helped me out. But what about you collectively as St. Benedict's Table, as a faith community? Do you ever hear that? Do you, do you ever hear someone giving glory to God for the light that shines in and amongst you? Well, as I said at the beginning, I want to assure you that I witness across Canada to what God is doing with and in you. And I and many others see your good works and give glory to God for you. So the Feast of uh, Pentecost was originally a Jewish festival. 50 days, that's what the word means, 50. 50 days after Passover. And it, it became known as a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses and the people of Israel. The Christian Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, commemorates the giving of the Holy Spirit, which, as Paul says, is the new law written not on tablets of stone, but written within us, in our hearts, on our lives. And both of the scripture readings we heard tonight, both from Acts and from John, are accounts of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon and within the disciples and the Christian community. And don't think of that as limited to the twelve. There is nothing in either of those scriptures that leads us to believe that. Luke says they were all together in one place. Each account emphasizes different aspects of the purpose of the believer's immersion or baptism, that's what the word baptism means, in the Holy Spirit. And both are very clear and precise about what they're trying to communicate and teach. Both agree that we need the anointing power of God to live our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. Full stop. There is no question we cannot do this on our own. We need the anointing power of God to live our lives as disciples and to discern and live out God's will in the world, in our daily lives. So let's look first at Luke's account in Acts. What is he trying to tell us very specifically about the purpose and the life of the Holy Spirit? As I said a moment ago, he says they were all together in one place. And then, when the Holy Spirit had come, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit is a corporate act. It's true, it's for each one of us, but for each one of us together. And why is that the case? Luke explains. He continues, All of the Spirit-filled disciples were given the ability, at least on that occasion, to speak in other languages they had not learned in any kind of natural way. And what is the outcome of that sudden burst of many different languages, all from unlearned Galileans? This is what Luke says in chapter 2. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed, 
and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And then he lists all the languages, and at the end of that he says, In our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. I think you have to admit, if you were in some kind of multinational gathering, such as what was in Jerusalem at that feast, it is a pretty convincing way to get across the reality that God is reaching out in love to you personally when it is spoken to you in your own native tongue. That was the huge message of the outpouring of the Spirit that every single human being, regardless of race or nation, nationality, creed, every one of them was being embraced with the gift of God's Holy Spirit. So then Peter, as the leader in the group, seizes the opportunity, and he puts this miraculous outpouring of God's Spirit into a kind of historical context. He shows how it fulfills the prophecy of the prophet Joel, spoken hundreds of years earlier. And then, if we were to read on further than we did tonight, at the end of this sermon that Peter preaches, as Luke records here, about 3,000 were baptized. That's a pretty convincing sermon. About 3,000 were baptized at the end. The gift of the Holy Spirit empowered people to speak and hear the truth about God's love in Jesus Christ And it enabled believers to pass on the gift of the Spirit. It only began there. The manifestation continued as the apostles and the other church leaders laid hands on and prayed for these newly baptized. The Holy Spirit empowered and sent the disciples out into the community together. So that's really what Luke is trying to get across in this passage of of Pentecost. What about John? What's John tell us, the Gospel of John? Tell us about life in the Spirit. Tonight's passage is only one of several passages that John talks about, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and in the words of Jesus, what the purpose of the gift of the Spirit will be. In the scene we heard read tonight, it takes place on Easter night, and the bewildered and frightened disciples are kind of secluded behind locked doors, hiding And suddenly, the risen Christ appears right there in their midst and gives them the most reassuring greeting he possibly could give to a bunch of Jewish people at that time. He says, Shalom, peace. And that word is much more than just hello or how you doing. It is all is well. All is well with us. All is well between us. All is well with God. And then he shows them his hands and his side so they know for sure it's the right person. This really is the one they crucified. They see the wounds and they rejoice when they realize, yes, this is him. And he repeats the greeting again. He says, Shalom. All is well with him, with the Father, with all of them. And then he goes on and he says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Not sure that's what the disciples were ready to hear at that very moment. 
That's a very strong commission. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. The disciples of Jesus Christ are sent with the same ministry and the same mission as Jesus. And in order to do it, they need the gift of the Spirit. And here's how John describes it. He says, When Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now you might wonder, why that action? Why breathing? Like, why didn't he touch them or do some of the other things he did when he healed people miraculously? Well, there's a very good reason, because in the biblical languages, the word for spirit and the word for breath are the same. So the writer could have said, he spirited on them the Holy Spirit, literally took the life and the breath of God and instilled it inside them so that they could be indeed sent to do Jesus' ministry. Jesus spoke of this earlier, that this would happen. John's Gospel records it earlier on. And he says to them in what's sometimes called the farewell discourses, it's kind of Jesus' final words of encouragement as the disciples are aware they're going to lose him. He is no longer going to be with them in the way that they're used to having him with them. And he says, Jesus tries to reassure them, and he says, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. That's Jesus and the Father. We will come and make our home with them. And the word for home is tabernacle the holy place where God dwells. So in some sense, God comes and tabernacles in humanity. It's amazing because in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was that very holy place where only certain people could venture on certain days as long as they were part of the right tribe and they were part of the priesthood of Aaron and so on. And now suddenly... That tabernacle is within each one of us. Now, in some sense, it is true that it is true for us individually, but it is true because we belong to the body of Christ, the church. We belong to each other in Christ. Then Jesus states just how profound this commission is that we have been given. And he says... If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is a very sobering verse, and unfortunately this passage has been interpreted poorly in Christianity from time to time. Sometimes it's put the church in a kind of overarching, judgmental, oppressive light. But that's not what is intended here at all. What it does clearly state, though, is that we have been made stewards of the forgiving, reconciling, healing gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been charged with proclaiming, living, confronting, and encouraging others with the love and truth of God in Jesus Christ. And in such a way 
that they too are able to be embraced, embrace and be embraced by the risen Christ, to lay hold of the gift of God's eternal love and life. Now, all of this sounds wonderful, awesome, and it is. But the whole rest of the New Testament is crystal clear. We can only realize and live out this life in the Spirit together, in an interdependent, mutual community of discipleship. Whether that is St. Benedict's Table or whether that is some other Christian community that is your primary place of worship and fellowship. It's, it's kind of like being married. You, you can only live in a state of matrimony if you are actually living in a marriage relationship with someone. You can't be kind of on your own and married. Well, you can't be a spirit-filled disciple of Jesus Christ on your own. By definition, you have to belong to a concrete body of Christ. You can't be a member of a kind of ill-defined, invisible body of Christ, just as I can't live out my married life to an invisible or virtual spouse. Thank goodness. (laughs) The Holy Spirit, thank God, works in real flesh and blood, like yours and mine's, and works through each one of us for the sake of all of us. So tonight, as you share in this worship service, particularly as you share the peace, as you come forward to receive communion, look around at your fellow sisters and brothers in Christ tonight, for they help to make the Holy Spirit alive and active in you and in me. And as you do in them, thank God for this amazing spirit-filled community of disciples of Jesus Christ. Realize the gift God has given you and that God has given you in each other. We dare not squander it. It is God's gift of life for the world. Use it well. Amen.